0: Good morning, good to see you all, hope you've had a nice week, I know uh, for some this was spring break week for you and your families, hope you had a wonderful time, Jim went to San Diego, hi Jim, I'm just letting you know you went to San Diego, and so just everybody knows, <laughs> just thought I'd open up there, so, um Good. If, uh, if you have a Bible, um, you can turn to 1 Corinthians 13 and Matthew 26. We will get there towards the second half of the message. This message today feels a little bit more like a testimony, maybe, or some things from my own experiences, and um, so it kind of feels a little different to me. It feels a little, actually a little heavy to me, way heavier than I thought to the point where when I planned this series about nine months ago, I'm like, oh man, I'm really looking forward to that. And then as I got closer, it felt heavier. So I was looking forward to it less, which is really exciting for your pastor, to hear from your pastor. I'm not even looking forward to my own sermon. There you go. <laughs> We're beginning a series called Emotional Healthy Relationships. And the framework for a lot of this, um, not necessarily the content, but the framework from a lot of us comes from uh, Pete Cazero's books, including Emotional Healthy Spirituality, Emotional Healthy Leadership, Emotional Healthy... Leadership, a lot of things around this idea. Of course, Scripture will be our guide. Scripture will be our authority. Scripture will be teaching us throughout this. But Cazero makes this statement, which is the core of much of his thoughts and the thesis for this series. He writes this: Emotional health and spiritual maturity are inseparable. It is not possible to be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature. Let me read that again in case some of you tuned me out. Emotional health and spiritual maturity are inseparable. It's not possible to be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature. You may or may not just may or may not agree with this, but I think it's something that we need to consider. This isn't referencing simply an age where, like, the immature are young and the mature are older. Because the assumption that any kind of maturity just happens with time and always remains is just simply not true. What I've learned over the past few weeks, even when I say I'm speaking around emotional healthy relationships, our minds drift to things that we think we know. Meaning, oh, this is about therapy. Oh, this is about the emotionally unstable. No. This is about being emotionally and spiritually healthy. Now, a few things I'm realizing, with a multi-generational church, odds are that there's different opinions, beliefs, experiences around any conversations on emotions. You then add the context of faith, religion, Experiences and those contexts could possibly add more assumptions. You see, I have come to realize we all have an emotion about other people's emotions. (laughs) There are opinions about people being too emotional. I hear this a lot, like, oh, that younger generation, they're just too emotional. There are opinions about people being too unemotional. Man, some of those people, they just don't feel anything. There's opinions about, Dale, you better be, because this is a direct quote I've heard. Dale, you better be careful talking about emotions in front of the church. People may trust their emotions more than the Bible. As I was growing up, I heard a lot of voices in my life. Voices that were there to disciple me. Voices that were there to mentor me. Voices of my coaches in different sports. And I deeply appreciated them and and what they taught me. And as I look back, the growth was all around knowing more, reciting more, reading more, doing more, and being a good example for Jesus or to my teammates. And somehow I got really good at these things. And when you're good at these things, people notice. They then give you compliments, and when you give me a compliment, I'm just kind of drawn more to that. It's like a little boy who can make you laugh. I just keep going. You're drawn to those things even more. And when you add the ability to make people laugh, it's easy to develop this persona where it protects you without really knowing it. But what was never really talked about, at least maybe I just didn't listen, But I don't remember was any connection between spiritual maturity, growing spiritually, and emotional maturity. Yes, the outward behaviors, of course. The things you shouldn't say and shouldn't do don't outwardly act with immaturity. But what about the inner life? What about the things I thought and felt and didn't know what to do with? I think people just thought, if I had enough faith, it would develop. You see, I showed a deep interest in God as a young man. I was able to talk in front of groups with ease, probably being the youngest of six kids helped prepare me for that, because if you didn't speak up, you didn't get anything. So I came out of the womb talking. And I guess I did this more than other people, so they said, you should go into ministry. So I studied, I learned. I performed. I was even given an award uh, leaving college with a wood plaque. I was the student of the year for my current work and my future ministry potential. I was so proud that people saw something in me. But I felt like I was on a conveyor belt that started to speed up. I remember getting the courage sometimes to say, "Man, I I don't know if I really want to do this or even how do I do this. Kind are of hurting on the inside the reply was often well that's just the devil that made you say that so now i had to wrestle with am i doing the work of satan by by listening to these things so i remember just kind of pushing that down i remember admitting at times i'm tired of getting emotionally hurt or deeply disappointed when my interactions with people didn't go well And I said, I think there's some things I need to kind of sort out in my life before I keep moving forward. The reply was so often, "Ah, just let those things roll off your back. Godly leaders and godly husbands and godly people, just keep moving forward, Dale. Just let those roll off your back. I remember thinking, how does one do that? But I did. At least it appeared to be so. I remember so many years of my life wondering, how does everyone else just have this amount of faith where everything rolls off of their back, they're just always confident, and never feel anxious or misunderstood? When I say that out loud, I kind of realize I probably wasn't the only one who was thinking that. But here I was, leading... As a pastor, and as a football coach, and as a husband, and as a father, and all these things, wondering, how does everybody else do this? In my own longing to find deep, spiritually mature people, and my own mentors who could help me, I was finding people who knew Scripture so well, but behind the scenes, they were emotionally all over the place often using criticism and anger or saying, oh, this is just my discernment. I was finding people so quick to give advice and so quick in their own opinions telling me, you should be slow to speak, Dale. Quick to hear. I developed this thought. It's more virtuous or spiritual to have the reputation that nothing bothered me. I made this work for a while. So I thought. The truth was the emotions inside of me were incredibly powerful and could not be subdued, nor should they be subdued. My emotions longed to be discipled, to be paid attention to, and to grow in maturity. I didn't really realize that there was a whole slice of my life I haven't given to God. You see, God has made us whole people in his image. We are uh, made socially, intellectual, spiritual, physical, and emotional. What I'm not saying is that all of these pie pieces are the exact same size or the right size. Because you might know some people who have larger pie pieces than others in different areas. But I think it's pretty safe to say, in generality, that God has made us whole people, made in His image. And we have an, a social, an intellectual, a spiritual, physical, and an emotional side. And then often areas of faith, we have specific ways that we encourage people to grow in these different areas. Within the social area, I was encouraged to fellowship with other believers, to be in a small group to share my burdens with other people, to be accountable to other people, to do life together. These are all really good things. There's these things you do with other people. And then in the intellectual side, I I started diving into apologetics, defending my faith, theology and doctrine, and always having an answer ready for those who needed it, knowing how to teach the things of the faith. I worked really hard, all good things. The spiritual side of myself, how to spend time with God, how to pray, how to do my daily devotions, how to worship, all those things were poured into me. The physical side. It's hard to imagine now, but yes, I was trained on a physical side. What to do and not do with my body. Alcohol, drugs, dating, sexual immorality, be nice to people, don't play too hard, don't be too competitive, but if you are, make sure you say you're sorry. That was what my mom would say to me. Once again, I had four older brothers. That physical side was brought out. I was trained that my body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Then there was this fifth part, emotional. What I was told, facts over feeling. What I was told, don't trust your emotions. What I was told, if you're angry, you better not be when the sun goes down. I didn't know how to navigate this stuff. This may not have been your journey or your current journey, but for some reason there's all these areas of growth that were challenging me, but this area was ignored, at least in the slice that I grew up with. Because as soon as we start to feel in a faith context, people get really afraid that all of a sudden you're going to distrust your feelings. And I'm like, well, God made me with feelings. What do I do with them? In their book, The Cry of the Soul, the authors make this observation. Ignoring our emotions is turning our back on reality. Listening to our emotions ushers us into reality. And reality is where we meet God. Emotions are the language of the soul. You see, when followers of Jesus are not discipled emotionally, they might come to one of two conclusions. Kind of extremes. Either emotions are bad, they can't be trusted because they will change or they're a sign of weakness or a lack of faith, a sign of doubt for sure. Or emotions are everything. You be you, how you feel is truth. If it feels difficult, it must not be the right thing for you. What I'm saying is not one of these two options. I'm saying left to ourselves or not discipled. Oh, how I've seen it clearly the past few weeks. Not giving God access to the deeper places in my life can make me choose one of those options. One of the things I've seen is we all carry things into situations, into relationships, and into life. It's kind of like we're all carrying a backpack. backpack of things we've collected over the years, over the decades, over the week, or throughout the day. Some of this, these things in our backpack could be your family of origin. Tough things that have happened in your family, but good things that have happened in your family too. Things you experienced with your job, things you've been taught, things you've expressed and you have this backpack. And then you join in, in a relationship with somebody else, a friendship. Maybe you're starting to share some of the things in the backpack could be a dating relation, could be even a spouse, and all of a sudden you're carrying the same pack together, things you haven't actually participated in, but now they're all coming together. And you find yourselves metaphorically looking for things or wondering why this pack is so heavy sometimes. And I'm like, how did this stuff get in there? Well, you've united your heart with another. And you need to take some time and go, are we emotionally healthy together? What are the things that we're bringing in to this relationship? This series is not some self help. It is not a kind of therapy. It's quite possibly the opposite. See, these things have shaped us much more than we realize. These things have formed how you behave, how we relate, how you commit. Or how you don't commit. These things, this area affects your relationship with God. In a relationship, if you are asked a question from a spouse or a friend on an emotional level and you respond in a factual level, how is that working for you? If your friend is saying, Do you even care anymore about me? And you go, What does the word care mean? If your wife says, I am so disappointed, you're hurting me, your words are harsh, and you're like, are they? Let's look at the dictionary of harsh, because actually harsh is this. I'm somewhere between harsh and kind. Let's just clarify. That doesn't work really super well, because a factual response to an emotional situation is a disengagement of what's happening. And a factual response or an intellectual response to God in an emotional situation quite possibly could be pushing things back down when God's like, I'm trying to get your attention. There's this passage that is so often used in weddings. In fact, It's so often used in weddings. A lot of times when I do weddings, they go, I don't want the passage that's always used in the weddings. But it's more than just a wedding passage. Paul writes, as he's writing to his letter to the Corinthians. He's writing a lot of challenging stuff. And he gets to this point in this letter where if you look at it through the lens of the five things that how we're made as humans, you're going to see them all here. And if emotions doesn't show up, let me show you. He writes this. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love... I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Then he goes on to explain what love is, which seems amazing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs, love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, it always trusts, it always hopes, it always perseveres. The beginning half of Paul's kind of summary there was a lot of how I was trained, mentored, discipled, and we do that for our own people over and over and over again. I was trained to speak well, to teach well, to clarify mysteries, to have knowledge, to have significant amount of faith. I am generous with money. I suffer hardship. In fact, if you said, went home and said, mom, dad, I found this amazing guy. He speaks well. He teaches well. He clarifies mysteries. He has knowledge. He has a significant amount of faith. He's generous with his money, and he knows what it's like to suffer hardship. You're probably like, marry the boy. If you're looking for a pastor, and this was on my resume, you're like, hire the guy. But Paul says, all of those things can be in place, but if the emotional part isn't also developed and matured, what are you? nothing (laughs) all of the things he talks about love why don't you put that up there's a lot on there patience kind envy boast don't be boastful don't be proud don't dishonor others is not self-seeking not easy angered keeps no record of wrongs all of these things there's a lot of emotion in that list not emotion isolated but emotion deeply attached to other things. That if you take that emotional piece out, subdue it, crush it, don't let it show, or it's all of that you are, it's nothing. Emotions that are rooted, connected, immature, but definitely emotions. I kind of feel like I'll just, I'm, I hate when I say this. I'm just going to be honest with you as if I've been lying for the first 27 minutes. I feel, I feel I'm experiencing a bit of defensiveness, I think. Because I feel like I have to advocate that emotions are part of how God made us. Why? Because there seems to be a lot of streams of faith or church or religion Or we're just so scared of emotions. I'm not talking about emotions untethered. I'm not talking about emotions that um, run our life just for emotion's sake. But I'm talking about God gave us this amazing feeling to be able to love, to be able to let go. I think he wants us to do that in a healthy way. And one of the reasons why it's really heavy on me is that I haven't always done this well. I think I started doing this well about two years ago. (laughs) I mean, I've had starts and stops. But I can say that even as a, a youth pastor to a lot of you, I wasn't always very good at this part. I was good at teaching. I was good at telling you what to think out of... But I wasn't necessarily good at telling you how God wants you to feel, because I didn't even really know how God wanted me to feel. And I hid behind a lot of humor, and I still kind of do. But one of the great markers of whether we love God is whether we love other people. And if loving other people has those kinds of attributes to it, kindness, and patience, and goodness, and self-control, there's a healthiness that needs to happen within our emotions with each other. How we talk and how we feel. My heart is that as we rebuild and renew this church is that we don't build a ministry of clanging symbols. That we say, come and learn and grow and recite and just feed that intellectual and social part of you, but what we're creating is a bunch of people who just bang symbols. But that we absolutely include that emotional piece that says, man, we're going to love. We're not going to simply mind read what other people are thinking. We're going to stop and ask them, what are you thinking? We're not just going to assume that what, how we see things is right, but we stop. And we can go, how do you see this? We're going to push aside assumptions and mind reading and, and understand that we all carry a different backpack of experiences and my backpack isn't better than your backpack. It's just a different backpack. And how do we do this well together? You see, what Jesus taught and modeled was that our love for God was measured by the degree to which we love others. In fact, he was so clear about it, it would be unthinkable for his followers to think otherwise. And yet they did, and so do we. This series, Emotional Healthy Spirituality, is not just about you feeling good. It's not just like, oh, I go home and I have this inner peace. It's not about that. It's never about feelings over the truth of Scripture, ever. It's actually taking Scripture at its fullest truth. And embracing Jesus' command. It's all about your ability to love well. And you can't be emotionally unhealthy and love well. If at all. This isn't about those people who have emotional problems. It's about all of us who have emotions. And how those speak to how we relate. But let's look at Jesus for a moment as we finish. In this scene of extreme emotion, and this isn't a scene of emotion that we won't go through ourselves, but I just want us to look at Jesus and his emotions. It's beyond what we face, but it's super clarifying. Let me read it to you. We just went through this season last weekend. Good Friday, Easter, so this is the scene when Jesus is in the garden, right before his death. Uh, Matthew 26, starting verse 36. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, it's a garden, and he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. So he took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, which would be James and John, along with him. And he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here, keep watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Then, If we were to follow Jesus well and how Jesus expressed his emotions, here are some things that we can see from this passage. One, Jesus was not afraid to feel, he didn't hide it, he didn't connect some deeper spiritual enlightenment away from his emotions, like I'm the Son of God, even I don't feel. He had deep sorrow. He was overwhelmed. The second thing we see in this is that he shared it with his friends, but he did not project it onto his friends. He said, pray, join me in the spiritual realm. These emotions are in the spiritual realm. These emotions are deeply in the spiritual realm. He asked them to join him. He didn't say, oh man, you guys' issues are nothing. I'm about to die for the sins of the world. He didn't throw that on his friends. He just said, stay awake and be with me. He shared it with his friends, but he didn't project it on his friends. The third thing about Jesus' emotions, he was not afraid of how his feelings sounded to his father. This one's revolutionary to me. He kept praying three different times. Is there any other way? Is there any other way? Fully human, Jesus said, please, 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 God. I've known people who are deeply hurting and they feel bad even saying, please, God, is there any other way? Because they think it lacks faith. And yet here's Jesus, the Son of God, saying, please, please, please. Fourth, Jesus didn't just feel his feelings. He gave them to his Father. He knew what to give to his father by declaring what he was feeling. I am sorrowful, Jesus. I am sorrowful, my father. His emotions drove him to prayer about the deeper issues. This seems to be how we got to the point, humanity, where he said, Okay, my hour has come. What's in the middle? What if in the middle of our deepest emotions, the anger, the lust, the concern, the anxiety? What if in the middle of those feelings we turned to the Father and said, God, I'm feeling incredibly lustful right now. Some of us just feel shameful saying that. The enemy is so happy when you feel ashamed of declaring your emotion to God. He just is. He's so happy. But God's like, just tell me what's going on. The other day, I was in my office a couple weeks ago, and the day before I had humanly a very difficult meeting, very difficult conversation. It stuck with me. I didn't sleep well that night. When I don't sleep well, I'm not happy. Pretty much no one's happy. I was in my office the next morning, pretty bummed still, so I started beating myself up. Dale, you should be stronger than this, better than this. How can you you let that conversation still affect you? Then also knowing I was going to teach this in a few weeks, I'm like, oh, I better actually do what what I'm teaching. And I admit it out loud, I am depressed. And then I'm sitting by myself saying, I'm depressed. Then I had all these rational thoughts like, well, I'm not really depressed. Like, I don't really need help with my depression or all all this other stuff, right? Because I'm like, there's no one in the office with me. As I'm declaring this, and God's like, will you just say you're depressed? So I opened my journal that morning, and I wrote in big letters, I'm depressed. Which was super scary because later I was in a meeting where I opened my journal, and people were looking at the journal like. (laughs) But I had this moment by simply declaring an emotion that I was feeling, an emotion that I wasn't super excited about before God. And I got this moment where I thought, Wow, Satan, you got me. And I get this really mocking, condescending voice. Good job, Satan. Wow. You pulled one over on me. Because he did. And in that moment, God's like, I'm with you. If you're ashamed of how you feel, I'm not saying that's a good feeling, Dale, but if you're ashamed of that and you hold that to yourself, you're giving me no access. Just declare it, just call it out, let me step into it with you. What if we brought our deepest ones to him? When you go back to the Garden of Eden, Eden falls apart with hiding and shaming and blaming and assuming, which leads to death. But in this garden, this Garden of Gethsemane, life came through with honesty, open agony, with fear, frustration, but clarity. Laying it out before the Father, which leads to life. Over the next many weeks, we're going to look at some things that I believe will help us to be open and honest and be fully mature with Him. Some skills to be considered as we talk about being emotionally healthy and spiritually mature. It's to stop telling yourself untrue stories about other people. We think about... Um, bearing false witness is just outwardly lying to people. I also believe it's when you're telling yourself stories or lies about that person that you're carrying false witness. How your family of origin has shaped you. How to have emotional integrity. How to fight cleanly to be a peacemaker. All of these areas are in this realm. Because the marker of loving God well really is loving others well and what I've learned to be true you don't just love others well by saying I love you because there needs to be more that follows up after that because true love is not just a feeling but love is also not just the words can you imagine a relationship that says I love you and if it changes I'll let you know But that's how we live so much of our lives. There should be an interlocking of growth, of maturity. And like I said, immaturity is not just something for the young. We do this in our lives. What I'm hoping for is that we're healthy. Let's just take a moment and pause before the Lord and lay this out before him. So much of what I was trying to say today is just kind of an intro stating some things that I just think are true to get us going into this. But there's no doubt in my mind that the Spirit works in these moments. You might be sitting here today just like, I I got a lot. And we always want to start with the place of letting go and letting Jesus take control. I am not handling this topic lightly. I'm not gonna just throw emotions around. But my friends, I've been doing this a long time. And there's a reason why the statistics tell us that the relationships within context of christianity and outside of christianity is there's the same there's the same amount of falling apart divorce failures and people fighting i remember so many years young people coming up to me and like this person who doesn't even believe in god is (laughs) nicer to me than this person who is and it's not just about that but it's God's saying, I I want a deeper, I want access to some deeper things in your life. Are you willing to say, to let go of, well, this is just how I am, this is just how I was raised, and maybe making a declarative statement. God, I wonder if you have something more for me. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? You knit me together in my mother's womb, and I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. Father, help us to be all that you have created us to be. We love you.